0: Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Michael Russo is coming to you from New York City. Anthony LaPanta from the Ballet Sports North Studios, where he is doing the pre- and post-game show tonight. Hopefully no rain delay as well, but pre- and post-game show for uh, Twins at Detroit. What's the weather forecast tonight, Anthony?
1: Well, I'm hoping it's good. It's This is a long week. We had a doubleheader yesterday, so I'm on a stretch right now of eight games in seven days on this trip, five wow. and four days in Detroit, and then... Three in Toronto, so the last thing we need is any kind of weather delay. I haven't heard anything <laughs> that would tell me that there's a chance. So hoping, hoping for the best, and hoping the Twins can keep things rolling. It's been a, it's been a
0: more entertaining team to watch yeah. so far this year. Yeah, Anthony's hoping for like the like an hour and fifty minute Greg Maddox like uh, battle one nothing win and off he could go home. To I Mason hope for Sunday. that
1: every single night, but I will say <laughs> that as we were doing last night's game, there's a chance that my iPad that was on the desk during the postgame show might have had the Western Conference game on rather (laughs) than statistical information regarding the Twins and Tigers.
0: Yeah, and we're going to get right to that game because it was an unbelievable hockey game. I was watching it uh, here in Manhattan. I'm in Manhattan, uh, game one of the Eastern Conference final tonight against the uh, New York Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, So we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Uh, Some quick wild news um, updates. Uh, First of all, Jared Spurgeon had a sports hernia surgery. Um, this has been something that was clearly bothering him since before the Winter class, Classic. Anthony uh, Zuccarello had a fracture in his leg, but also uh, is having sports hernia surgery here in the upcoming days. I believe John Merrill is also having some sort of upper body uh, uh, surgery. I mean, it's pretty obvious that he hurt uh, something like his shoulder at, on his first chip, uh, first shift at the World Championship. So that's the housekeeping news for injuries that we know of, at least as of this moment. And then the other thing is uh, today is June first that we were recording this podcast that is the deadline to sign uh draft picks from the 2020 draft which the wild don't have to sign any of those guys but it also for europeans 2018 uh philip johansson their first round pick will not be signed by the wild it's been something that anthony and i have been speculating upon for weeks and months that they're not going to sign him and because of that they get a compensatory pick 24 picks into the second round so the wild will pick 56th in the NHL draft also get the second round picks from the Vancouver Canucks from the trade that they made um, there to get Jack McBain. Uh, It's Arizona's uh, made the pick, but it's Vancouver's owned original pick. Uh, So they have two picks there. They traded their second for, uh, for Marc-Andre Fleury. So they still have two picks in the second round. But Anthony, you mentioned the Western Conference final yesterday, man. um, It's pretty much exactly what we figured that that, uh, game one would be and what the series as a whole would be. A lot of offense, not great goaltending not great defense and just uh man ex- exciting game 8-6 winners game 1 the Colorado Avalanche.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's fair to say we thought it was going to be offensive. I don't think I wasn't expecting it to be 14 goals. I really thought that Colorado would be able to defend Edmonton better than that and I still think they will as this series progresses. I think the w- the way that you can slow Edmonton is with mobile skating defenseman in Colorado certainly has that. I'd be really surprised if we see another eight to six game in game two. I do think there'll be chances both ways. And I do think that goaltending is going to be an issue for both of these teams in this series. But I was thinking more like it would be six to three kind of games. And I thought Colorado would win the series. I still think they will. And I think they'll win it in relatively quick fashion. I don't think this is going to be a deep series but I, I don't think I don't think Edmonton scores six every night against this Colorado club.
0: Uh, Darcy Kemper comes out of the game with really uh, no obvious uh, injury. We've seen that before with, from Darcy as well, where all of a sudden he's just peculiar. He just comes out of the game. Happened again yesterday. Um, it, man, what are the chances that Game 2, we don't see the same starting goaltenders for either team? I mean, it sounds like Darcy Kemper's a possibility and not going with France too in Game 2. But then uh, Mike Smith just has been shellacked lately. He gets by uh, Jacob Markstrom in the second round, which uh, Markstrom is not very good. Certainly not as Vesna-type tr- contending uh, Jacob Markstrom. But, man, uh, you know, Smith has got to be better. He does, and he was
1: in that Calgary series. I kind of thought the same thing might happen in Calgary. Remember when he got blitzed yep. in Game 1, got pulled. Then he ended up playing fairly well for big chunks of that series. And I wouldn't, I'd be surprised if he doesn't start Game 2 and – but it also wouldn't surprise me if he got pulled again in game 2. I just, I don't trust Mike Smith at all and I really don't trust Darcy Kemper either. And we've talked about this so many times. Really loved the young man, high quality guy and and a good goaltender and yet it just always seems like something goofy happens that knocks him out of the out of games at key times and I still question whether you can win with Darcy Kemper as your go-to goaltender. I just don't know that he's shown that he can do it consistently in the postseason or that he can keep himself on the ice when the chips are down.
0: We got a lot of questions on Twitter about uh, stuff that you and I have said in the past about McDavid and Drysdale. And and you've been, I mean, you look, you were outspoken a couple podcasts ago about how you're not sure, you know, that you would ever start, that you would trade a Kaprizov straight up for him and, and stuff like that. Um, You know, if you're picking a team, he wouldn't be one on your list. I mean, after watching how dominant he has been this postseason and 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 Dreisaitl as well. I mean, do you have second thoughts about just uh, maybe your reservations with those two?
1: Well, I don't about Dreisaitl. My opinion has not changed. And I watched him coast back a couple of times last night. And it's I just I don't think that's what a championship leader does. Connor McDavid has been. To me, the biggest surprise in this playoffs, and not because of his scoring, because of the way he's playing. He's playing at a different level right now than I've ever seen before, than I think this league has seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened that flipped the switch, and all of a sudden, he's coming back at the same pace. He's going forward. He's been strong on pucks. He's knocking guys off pucks. He has taken games over. He's taken series over. He's played like Not just the most talented player in the world, but the best player in the world. And that's a big difference to me. And that's why before I always said I thought he was the most talented player in the league, most talented player in the world. But if I was trying to build a championship club, I'd start elsewhere in terms of all the other things that you need to have to win a title. And Nathan McKinnon was the guy I always said I'd take number one. I'm not certain that anything's happened with Nathan McKinnon that would change my mind. He was dominant in that game last night. But I'll tell you, McDavid, for two rounds in one game, has been a totally different player than we've ever seen before. If he continues to play this way, it would be hard to pick anybody other than him with that with a number one overall pick. At this point, I'll still say I'll take McKinnon one, but McDavid's number two on my list. I, before, I had talked about guys like Austin Matthews being a guy I'd take ahead of him, maybe even a couple defensemen. I think the way he's played in this playoff, I mean, there were games and situations, long stretches in games, that he just was inseparable Mm -hmm. from the puck. You couldn't take it from him. His ability to turn, his ability to, to create space in the offensive zone. But what we've seen now is he's using that ability to close defensively. He made a play early in the game last night against the McKinnon line that took away a scoring chance that this looked like Jonas Brodin defending Connor McDavid, not <laughs> Connor McDavid defending Miko Rantanen. It was these kind of plays have been happening so frequently that I think it's amazing whatever happened that flipped this switch and maybe it was just a little playoff success or getting pushed in the playoffs by L.A. right away. Whatever's happened has changed the kind of player he's been.
0: It is almost like he has just suddenly realized, you know what I've got I've got to be the guy that wills his team to a potential cup. I mean, you know he's he's up there in Edmonton. He has been one of the best players, if not the best player in the world for the entire tenure that he's been in the National Hockey League. And I think he looks at it and he's like, you know look, th- there's only so many times you get to this point. I better be the guy that leads us there. And Drysidel on a bum ankle is doing the same thing right now. And I think sometimes they might even look over at, at the East and see what's going on in Toronto and the fact that this that franchise with as good a talent as they have with Matthews and Marner and Nylander and, and Riley and all those guys there and say, well, wow, that team can't even get past the first round. When are they ever going to even get to that pedigree of having a being a true Stanley Cup contender? It's almost like he's realized, you know what, I've got to be the best player in the world now, and he's leading them to, to you know, I mean, right now, let's be honest, if, he, if you if you vote in Con Smythe, he walks away in a landslide.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's see what happens, because the guy you're about to watch tomorrow night's not far from that either. I mean, you're talking about a guy who in elimination games has given up about yep. two goals in eight elimination
0: games. Yeah, and one, one in his last seven. Yeah, one in his last it's seven. crazy. It's crazy.
1: Yep. But but to go back to McDavid, I, I think sometimes these star players, maybe it takes watching guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner get knocked out again. And you look at it and you say, those guys are great players who have never made it out of the first round. This is an incredibly hard league to make the playoffs. It's an incredibly hard league to win in the playoffs. Look at the teams that had tremendous seasons this season. Minnesota right up there near the top of the list that were knocked out in the first round and it wasn't a major shock. The Wild losing to St. Louis, the Leafs losing to Tampa Bay. These teams were terrific hockey teams that got clipped in the opening round. And I mean the Boston Bruins. The, these this is a really difficult league to advance and when you that that's what makes what Tampa's done so amazing. But maybe sometimes It takes McDavid looking over and saying, holy cow, look at those guys, and then looking in the mirror and saying, we're in the same boat. We've had four number one picks in a six-year span, picked in the top ten nine times in ten seasons, and did it in years where it wasn't like it was a, a draft that was thin. I mean, one year it's Taylor Hall, who's won a Hart Trophy. One year it's Connor McDavid. Leon Dreisaitl, the year that he was the third overall pick. I mean, it's not like they were drafting in years where the draft was unbelievably thin. Maybe the Nail Yakupov season, but that's (laughs) about it. And yet with all this talent, have never been able to put it together. And instead of looking at the next coach that we got fired or pointing at our blue line saying we don't have enough defense or we didn't get a goaltender at the deadline, maybe it's time to look in the mirror and say, if I'm the best player in the world, it's time to take this over take it upon myself. You weren't facing a juggernaut in the first round of the LA Kings. And yet you were down three, two with two games left in that series. And maybe sometimes it just takes being pushed to that brink of the realization
0: that at some point it's gotta be on me, not on everybody around me. Yep. Yep. Well said, um, contrast, uh, the series that I'm at here in New York city, uh, game one starts tonight. So by the time this podcast comes out, we'll probably all know, uh, the outcome. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that any of us – let's put it this way. What, last night' final was 8-6? How many, how many games do you think it'll take to get to 14 goals in this series with the way that Vasilevsky and Shesterkin are playing right now? You know, similarly with Vasilevsky, and this is a guy with obviously two cups, but in that Toronto series, he was at the brink of, of – the, and the Lightning were at the brink of them falling to that team. And then there was just a point where he just said enough is enough and became the Vasilevsky that we've known for many many years now. And Shosturkin has just been absolutely extraordinary, not just in the regular season, but but here in the playoffs. And it's I mean, right now we have the best goalie in this season versus the best goalie in the world head to head in the uh, in the se- in the third round. It's pretty un- it's pretty unreal, and I think it's going to make for just a tremendous tremendous series. I agree.
1: I asked the question on Twitter last night. I
0: said, okay, there's 14 goals
1: scored in game one. When will the 14th goal be scored in the East <laughs> final? My prediction was early in the first period of game four. I think we'll see if the 14th goal scored then. When? When's and your call? It.
0: And I didn't even see your tweet, um, but I, I would agree with you. I think it's going to be three or four games in. I certainly hope so because I've been working for the last uh, 48 hours on uh, stories on both these goalies. So I need I need to co- them both to cooperate tonight so I could work on that, uh, run that story. But, you know, look, this, this I, it really, can you imagine being the New York Rangers, by the way, that you go from Mike Richter to Henrik Lundqvist to Igor Shosturkin? You know, there are some franchises like the Flyers that can't find a goalie since Hextall. And these guys, you have three in a row like that. And, and actually, you could say the same thing about Tampa Bay, really, right? They go from Ben Bishop to uh, Vasilevsky. But, man, it's just been a luxury of riches for both these franchises in that.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. And Shostakovich withstood, I think, the little bump in the road early in the playoffs that had some people questioning. And I don't, maybe questioning is a strong word, but shrugging their shoulders saying, are we really ready to put this guy in the same class as Vasilevsky? But, man, was he good in the Carolina series. And certainly, I'm sure, has the Hurricanes scratching their heads and wondering what if, if they had had their go-to goaltender, would that series have come out differently? And, you know, we'll see. I think this is going to be a different animal for Shesterkin because Tampa can come at you in waves. And Carolina, well, I, I love the Hurricanes. I love the way they're built. They're lacking that top-end goal scorer, and I think we saw that be the deciding factor in that series. They're lacking the star power. Frankly, like what we talked about here with Minnesota for 8, 10, 12 years, just, yes, a deep team and a balanced team, but no go-to guy until 97 arrived. And I think that's what Carolina maybe learned is that at some point in a series, you need a superstar scorer
0: to be able to break the seal, and they just never had it. No doubt about it, um, and that is very different than the two teams that we have here. I mean, when you I mean, obviously Braden Point being out is a big loss for Tampa Bay. He did skate today. Um, he took a spill in the end zone. It looked to me like he was not comfortable on his uh, on his skates. Um, you know, Hagel's out, but I mean, obviously you got Kucherov. You have Stamkos. That looks like he's absolutely reinvigorated himself. Uh, from the banked-up guy that we've seen the last couple of years. Um, you know, they, they just, they're a deep team. They lost their entire third line. And then, what do they go do? They got, you know, you have Nick Paul and Russ Colton and and all these guys. I mean, they are as deep as they used to be. And then you go contrast, you got a 50-goal scorer in Kreider, you got Jed, you got uh, Panarin. Uh, this is, you know, if that kid line can get going, they're going to make life very, very tough for the Lightning. I think this is going to be just an outstanding series, Anthony.
1: I think it'll be a good series, but I think we're going to see. I think this is a different two teams at different levels right now. I think the kid line for the Rangers is a good story, but they're not the lines that Tampa has. And they haven't faced the rigid defense that the Lightning will throw at you, which I think has been, I don't want to say overlooked, because there's some really good defensemen there, and Victor Hedman certainly gets his share of attention, but. Ryan McDonough is one of the still one of the elite shutdown defenders in this league, and I just I think I think we're going to see Tampa will their way to another series win, and and I, I I think both of these series might be a little shorter than people are guessing. I
0: I think it wouldn't shock me to see Tampa and Colorado both advance in five games. That would be something. That would be something, and then and then we'll get to see the, well, I think question. the
1: games. Yeah, the games will be competitive, mm-hmm. but I just have a feeling like the same team is going to come out on top in a series of close games.
0: Yep, it makes sense. So then we'll see the age old question of uh, goaltending and defense versus star power, because either way, one of the teams in the West uh, is going to have a bunch of superstars versus uh, one of the best goalies in the world. Uh, Anthony, tell us about Kowalski's.
1: Well, Kowalski's is my go to place when it comes to great meals, and I've talked so much about their meat and fish counter and they don't disappoint ever but their produce also is top of the line you just never leave disappointed and whether it be the peppers the broccoli the veggies but they also have these living green salads which i love this the greens are always crisp always fresh they're grown and delivered right in minnesota You get them faster. They come basically right from the farm to the grocery store shelf. Check them out. The living green salads are terrific, and they have a variety of greens, whether you're into arugula or spinach or the power greens, romaine. They've got them all. Check them out, and you can't go wrong. When you're putting together a great meal for great friends, you got to start with the best food, the best ingredients,
0: and for that, Kowalski's is the place to go. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm.
1: Hey hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com.
0: If you're thinking about selling your home, now is the time. Now you can get a strong cash offer. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Don't worry about the hassle of constant cleaning and home maintenance. Sell your home with Chris Lindahl today. Go to chrislindahl.com. Fill out a quick form. Receive an all-cash offer on your home today. There's no obligation, and the guaranteed offer allows you to bypass the market and sell your home hassle-free. That means no showings, no open houses, no stress. Just choose when you want to move, and you will close with confidence. The Wall Street Journal named Christendal Real Estate the number one real estate team in Minnesota and Wisconsin for closed transactions. The Christendale Real Estate guaranteed offer keeps you in control. It's that simple. Go to christendal.com to get a guaranteed offer on your home today so you can start packing. Certain restrictions apply. All right, Anthony, let's go to some Twitter questions. Um we're gonna definitely get to wild questions, but Paul Meyer wants to know, can anyone stop Colorado this year? I, I think they're the cup to content, they're the cup winner. What do you think?
1: That's an Answer. interesting question. I, yeah. I for sure thought that they were coming into the postseason. I thought they were the team to beat. And I thought that there were a couple teams that could give them trouble. I frankly didn't think Edmonton was one of them. I thought Minnesota and Calgary were teams that probably matched up the best with them that could give them some fits. And, but now after watching the first two rounds, and, and I'll be honest, I took Toronto to beat Tampa in round one, but now the way that Tampa has played, the way they played late in that series with Toronto, the way they played against Florida, I'm not so certain that, I, that you'd bet against a three-peat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess if, if I had to pick right now, I'd stick with Colorado, but boy, it's, I, I don't think Tampa's that far behind them.
0: Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, I think what they showed, and I think a lot of us started to think that Tampa Bay was fatigued, that they just were just, I mean, mentally and physically. I mean, they have gone through some long runs, and, it, you know, did they have it within themselves to to muster up just the, the? I mean, honestly, the fortitude that it takes every single game to be on top of your game. And when John Cooper said last round that they look like a team that has never won a cup, that to me was because that, what that shows you is that they just it, it's intoxicating the victory the ability to, to hoist that cup to win it for the guys in that room that haven't won cups um and cory perry is one of those guys that he's won a cup obviously before but he's faced this tampa team as an opponent in the finals and suddenly he wants to be part of that team and i and you could just tell that they are um one to be reckoned with right now and it's just the championship attitude that they have it, it, and the fact that they keep on reinventing themselves too, obviously they keep the core there, but to do this without their entire third line last year, which I think was an engine for them, to do this with Tyler Johnson somewhere else as well, um, I think it says everything about this franchise. They are they are just a proud, proud quality franchise, Anthony.
1: Well, well coached too, yep. which gets overlooked sometimes. And then you start with the best goaltender in the world, and Andre Vasilevsky, that allows you to cover up some flaws. I think maybe we all misjudged them a little bit down the stretch in the regular season because they didn't yep. put the pedal to the metal and catch the other teams in their division. To think Go about, down. this was a team that wound up third in their own division, and they were the two-time champs, and maybe we just looked at it as, well, it doesn't look quite the same because they didn't they didn't kick the throttle down and catch Florida at the end of the season. They They couldn't do it. And I think maybe that was a, an error in judgment. It clearly was an error in judgment now when you look back because they took down the two teams that finished ahead of them.
0: Yep, no doubt. Um, certified fact checker. I was hoping that we could do a Kevin Fiala-less podcast, but alas. I did, a, I did a mailbag today, Anthony, and it was so many Fiala questions that we split into two, just the Fiala p- part one, and then part two will run tomorrow, <laughs> um, but here is certified. T- fact-
1: I mean, like, how many questions can there be where the answer is anything other than we don't know yet?
0: I mean, that, yeah. that's well,
1: we don't know yet.
0: Certified fact checker wants to know what do you both personally think would be the ideal and reasonable return for Fiala? My thought is this is him talking. My thought is if we can get a center prospect and a pick, that would be ideal, or a more established high high uh, center, high level center prospect. I like a trade with uh, L.A. Kings, Turcotte straight up or Vellardi plus a pick. He says, um, I, "I would agree there. I think it's going to be a high first round pick or a uh, if you can get a center prospect. I think that is something that they would do in a minute. Um, you know, I even think that if you can get a high high center prospect, they do that straight up without a pick. Anthony,
1: I think you have to get two pieces in this deal minimum. Now you're talking about a guy who has proven that he can score in the NHL and has proven at a high level that he can score in the NHL. Uh, Nearly a 90 point guy probably would have been over 90 and pushing a hundred. If he plays with the line mates, he played with the second half of the year in the first half. And I think, you know, you're when you start talking about draft picks and prospects, you're hoping that a guy turns into what Kevin Fiala already is in that, in his ability to score. I think there – to me, there's got to be two pieces in the deal, and they've got to be two equivalents of of first-round picks, whether it be a first-round pick and a first-round level prospect or something like that. I I just – if it's not that, I wouldn't force the issue to make a trade.
0: Well, I mean you can't afford them. That's the problem, and that's what I why I think it's going to be hard to um, get exactly what you're I saying. I think there
1: are other ways – there are other ways to make it work where you could push this trade off into the future that I don't believe that you have to look at this as we have to trim this summer, no matter what. And cause that's what you're talking about is that when people know you have to trade them, the trade market value isn't as flush without a doubt. And so then look at other options to get yourself underneath the cap for right now and say, we're not going to be held. We're not going to have a gun held to our head to say, You have to take just the best trade that's on the table right now, and let's see what happens. There are some other ways where you can get yourself underneath the cap, and not the least of which is if you got to go to Kevin and see what he's willing to do or willing to accept. If Kevin Fiala comes in and says, I'm not taking anything less than $9 million a year, well, there's your answer. But I, I don't know that they know that yet.
0: Um, I, Ron, I believe, I believe it's Ron, uh, said dark horse, uh, to make the team next year currently in the system. And two, who is an unlikely, but possible trade asset, not named Dumba that could be moved to keep Fiala. Um, I mean, it would have to be a, a combination of a couple guys. I mean, you know, Kulikov, Jost, uh, players like that. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it would have to be that they're, they're not trading Greenway. They're not t- trading Felino, They're not trading at Eric's They're not trading you know Spurgeon Brodeen those type of guys. So there's only a certain number of players on this team that could do what Anthony's talking about and that's uh, you know free up the space to be able to afford Fiala. Um, so it would have to be a combination of guys like that. Um Goligosky is a full no move. In fact uh, in in terms of a dark horse to make the team next year, I don't I don't think there really is a dark horse to make the team. The, the team is locked uh, you know, th- there was maybe a, a room for a Connor Doerr to make the team, definitely a room for a Marco Rossi to make the team, perhaps a Kalen Addison, but there's not going to be just some dark horse that comes out of nowhere, I don't think, uh, to make the team. Do you, Anthony?
1: No, not unless multiple players moved in some kind yeah. of a deal to free up space. And and that that's part of the reason why I don't totally dismiss that as a possibility because of the fact that you just mentioned some guys I think they look at a lot of those guys as NHL ready. Connor Dewar, could you could you win with him on your fourth line all season? I think absolutely. I I don't know that they'd look at Connor Dewar next year much differently than Brandon Duham this this season. And you know, so I think there's some things. You know, could you win if Kalen Addison was in your top six all year? I think there's a pretty good shot. So I think they might look at that as. Yeah, maybe we could move multiple guys. We feel like we've got guys in the system that are close, if not ready right now, will be ready early next season. So it, I think that would have to happen, though. I think you're right. The rest, if, if they don't move some, uh, a significant number of players, and by significant number, I'm not talking like eight, I'm saying if they move a couple of guys in an attempt to make some room to stay under the cap, then you'd open up some spots. Without that, I just don't think there's room for it. I, nobody's going to get supplanted. None of the guys you just mentioned are going to get beat out by somebody in the system.
0: Yep, no doubt. Um, R. D. Jones asks, "Do you think the Wild would have played better in front of Flurry if they had a whole season to get used to his style? In the playoffs, they didn't know how to handle the rebounds he was kicking out um, after being used to to after being used to a much uh, stingier Talbot all season." Um, perhaps, uh, what do you think, Anthony? I, I will tell you, I've talked to so many different goalies, uh, former goalies, um, in the last day, day and a half talking to them about Shusterkin and Vasilevsky. And naturally when you have those conversations, you're like, so what did you think of the whole flurry thing? Um, everyone that I talked to was disappointed in Marc Andre's play and felt kind of what RG Jones said, that the wild, that, that just the wild were not used to him just being so erratic back there and taking himself into no man's land as often he did, and he was almost you know one one go- former goalie I talked to today said that it felt like that Mark Andre was almost you know trying to do too much in net. Um, you know, do do you think that this is the type of thing that if they bring Bet Flurry back, that we could see a much calmer situation next year just because they're used to Flurry?
1: Well, I don't think there's any question that the team would probably have a better feel for him, but I've thought that's how Marc-Andre Fleury has played his whole career, even with teams that with whom he has played for a long time. He always feels like he's on the edge of taking himself out of position and almost like an over-athletic approach, overly athletic approach. And he's had a, t- a tremendous amount of success. I'm not saying that it hasn't worked for him. I just think... There's probably a little bit to that. I really thought Minnesota's defensive zone structure was just off in the postseason and really a little bit down the stretch in the regular season compared to what we saw early in the year. And I'm not sure why. I, I don't. I haven't really talked to anybody about it. I haven't gone back and looked at it myself or anything, not that I'd be able to uncover the
0: issues that they have. It's but it just they felt don't like they weren't quite as – what's that? I said I think it's because they didn't, never practiced. I really do. Yeah, I think, I just, there's, I some, think there's, there's only so much video coaching you could do.
1: I think there's something to that for sure. And we've always talked over the years. You can't, you can't coach somebody how to score, but you can coach a team how to defend because defending, well, there's effort and there's skill and everything involved. A lot of it comes down to system. And I didn't think that Minnesota looked like they were locked in and airtight with a system down the stretch. Whether that was Marc-Andre Fleury causing a few miscommunications or if it was just a team that got a little loose, I'm not sure which way it was. And maybe it was. Maybe Fleury was a, a bigger factor in that than than I'm expecting. The one thing I will say is that for most of the season, we talked so much about how the wild were right up there with the best teams in the league in terms of limiting rebound chances. And I think part of that was on cam Talbot, who I thought was elite with his rebound control. And part of it was probably just the structure in front of him, where guys did a good job taking care of business and clearing those chances away before they became great a's. So maybe it was a combination of those two things throughout the postseason run with Marc Andre and Net from Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Nabokov today about uh, Shesterkin and um, Vasilevsky, and what he was saying is that, the, I mean, the, to, to him, what makes them so elite besides their flexibility is just the fact that they are both so quiet and net, And, you know, it's just, I don't know. Uh, there's just something to that. What he was saying, and this had nothing to do with Fleury. I didn't even bring up Fleury to him is that, you know, what it does is it calms down your blue line. Um, you know, when you just know that you have a goalie back there that's just quiet and it's just not going to be helter-skelter back there. Bruce Siski. Um, well,
1: when at- goalies are quiet, it's usually when they're on their game because it means they're getting to the spot quicker. Right. Then you're quiet If because it looks like you're already there, you're already square, you're relaxed, you're under control. So sometimes it's a guy's style
0: is a quiet style. Sometimes it just means yeah. – that a guy is on top of his game. And it has to do with tracking the puck, and these guys track the puck so so well. Bruce Siski uh, wants to know, um, as guys who are around the league a lot, thoughts on the offsides rule is applied to McCarr's uh, goal in game one and how consistently you think that it is used? Um, I mean, it's a good question. The, the one thing I'll say is it was onside. I mean, you know, that, but letter to the law, um, you know, he waited until that guy tagged up before he touched the puck. You know, what to me is a little bit peculiar is that we've seen other cases where it just feels like, you know, like, let's put it this way, you know, the whole control thing, you know, um, like it, it, the whole control rule that you could be onside, even if you put yourself offside because you were controlled the puck. Well, if you look at that by letter of the law there, you know, you could say, well, then he had control here and then the play is offside. Wouldn't you agree there?
1: Well, I so, agree Do you understand what I'm that. saying? Yes, I do. And yep. w- remember, we saw this exact play with Mikko Koivu a couple of years ago where he was carrying a puck over the line. He shoved it ahead to allow a teammate to get onside, and then he recovered the puck, reclaimed control of the puck. And when I saw it live, I said, well, the guy's clearly offside. He's off stride by two strides. Then we watched the replay again, and I thought, actually, it wasn't until after the officials called it good on review and I was, I was like, how in the world is that onside? And we went and looked at it, and sure enough, he had done the exact same thing. He had shoved the puck ahead to himself and then picked it up once the other guy got onside. So I don't remember who the other player was, but it was a brilliant play by Koibu. So when I saw this the other night, I was on a tech chain with some buddies, and I said, I, we've seen this exact play. Now, where I think there's a discrepancy is what you're talking about, where they say that a guy can put himself, a guy can eliminate putting himself offside because he has control. So even if he's in before the puck, they call it good. And I think that's what you have to eliminate. Because if you're going to allow this to happen and and go letter of the law like he doesn't have, his stick is not in contact with the puck, well, then you can't at the same time say that that means that this is yeah, what, what, control, so therefore yeah, you can't be offside. Exactly. You can't go both directions. Yeah.
0: No, and that to me is where the league just gets itself in trouble is that they just always seem to have different rules. And here's a, here's the exact same rule. Only one, you could put yourself offside if you have, quote, control. But two, here, you are allowing your teammate to get onside even though you technically have control of the puck. But they're saying at that moment you actually you know, lost control of the puck. Intentionally, I mean, it's just it's it's very strange. Um, let's just uh, let me just um, tell people about Aquarius. Um, if you could believe, I, I mean, and I can't believe it actually uh, that it's June already because uh, I got a notification today from my editor that hey, ten days before this A one story is running. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he told me it's June. So there you go. Um, well, make sure you are well prepared for this June's heat. And get your AC tuned up from my friends over at Aquarius Home Services. Take advantage now with their spring special, $55 for an AC tune-up. That's right, only $55. Aquarius Home Services cooling and heating experts will come to your home and provide a comprehensive 21-point inspection. I can tell you from experience, the folks over at Aquarius do an amazing job, and their customer service is just always elite. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you, and here's a word from Royal Credit Union, less fee, more free.
1: Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royals checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royals mobile app, receive real-time notifications when
0: transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash Royal Challenge, insured by NCUA. Back here, final segment of War Seats in the House. It's going to be a super quick segment. Um, Blue Collarish wants to know, Anthony, uh, saw, he saw a mention, he or she saw a mention of Malkin willing to move his family to another city to play hockey, and money, money wasn't a big factor. I did not see this report, so I'm a, I'm just going to take you for your word that that, that's, that is what was reported. Um, do you see him being a good fit between Kirill and Zuccarello for a year or two while Rossi learns an NHL game and maybe fits on the second line? Hartman could uh, move to Fiala's spot. Uh, Malkin, at this stage, would he be good here?
1: Well, he might be good here, but I can't imagine – I can't imagine how he fits if we're if we're talking about trying to make the guys you currently have on your team fit and saying it's virtually impossible.
0: How is this possible? Maybe he'll come for a million bucks, him and Kadri, each sign for a million bucks. Um Jack yep, You know what? We should I should
1: send this to Billy right now and say, "Hey Billy, we got a great idea for you. Sign Malkin for a million, sign Kadri for a million, sign Marc-André Fleury for a million, and we think you got a
0: winner." No doubt about it. Jax Berenberg, uh, cool name, Jax. Uh, do you think there is any chance that Billy G can swindle the second overall pick from uh, New Jersey? And if not, what is the likelihood of Dunbar-Fiala being traded to Ottawa? I know that both of them would fit well in Ottawa. In terms of the second pick, look, I think the second they won the lottery, I think that probably took the second pick out of play uh, for the Devils. In the, in the history of me covering the league, there have been very few top five picks moved. Um, you know, especially in the cap era, the Islanders once backed out of the top five to get Josh Bailey, um, you know, Florida, the team I covered twice moved the first round pick, uh, first overall pick back to number three to get, um, they gave, they got Jay Bowmeister and Nathan Horton and Columbus got Rick Nash and Pittsburgh got Mark andre Fleury coincidentally. Um, I I just think that it's very unlikely to get the number two overall pick. Tyler wants to know, Anthony, on your Straight from the Source podcast, when you interviewed Billy, was he keeping his cards close, or has he been quiet in plans and talks regarding some key offseason moves? The draft isn't that far out. Is it normal that he has not made calls regarding Fiala, blah, blah, blah. I mean, obviously, he's keeping stuff close to the vest. But look, there's, there's a time in this league, Anthony, every year when, like August, you know that most years GMs go on vacation. And there are times right now where teams are getting their houses in order, and then once the playoffs pretty much end, that's when they go to work on trying to make trades in the advance of the draft and stuff like that. So, you know, while there's no doubt he's not going to sit there on a podcast to give us all our plans, um, you know, there's just – I mean, I, I do believe that right now it's pretty quiet you agree?
1: Pretty quiet, but you, well, but you gotta, you've gotta know that, yes, they're getting their own house in order and all their preparations and doing all of their due diligence with, you know, as we've talked with Billy about some of these other trades he's made, the hockey world is a small world. And so anybody that you think that you might have any interest in or names that have been discussed, you know that that behind the scenes digging is going on. Let's Let's talk to this guy who played with this guy who played for that guy who used to play against this guy. And they're doing all of that kind of work right now for anybody and everybody that they think might be on a table, whether it be in a trade or if it's somebody they're thinking about acquiring free agency or even in the draft. But so all of that kind of stuff's going on. And as that happens, you know that there are text messages and phone calls back and forth where it's just that initial prodding of, yeah, what are you hearing about this guy? Or what are you you guys, are you guys thinking you're going to move a defenseman? Are you guys looking to add a draft pick? You know, that kind of stuff. And so maybe nothing specific. And so for that, yes, it's probably quiet, but it ain't quiet. I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Um, But in terms of your other thing, I mean, yeah, Bill Guerin's not going to give out his game plan right now on the live podcast. There's no doubt about it. Brett Marshall, friend of the show, blogger, podcaster, analytics expert. Anthony talked about a little on the last show, but do you guys feel there's a world where Freddie Gujo plays extended time on the fourth line next season? feels like he hit his peak this year and that guys like Rossi and Tyson Jost maybe better serve with Boldy long-term. Well, I mean, you could put Rossi – and Goudreau on that line. I don't think there's a world where Dean Evason is the coach and Freddie Goudreau is not playing a significant role. Anthony, I, I agree with that, but it might be as a fourth line guy, part of the night, second line guy,
1: part of the night penalty kill guy, uh, a guy on defensive zone face-offs or whatever. I mean, I do think that there will probably be a little bit more fluidity to the wild lineup throughout the course of a night next year as opposed Mm -hmm. to this, where it might be more of a defensive zone draw. All right, I'm going to throw Freddie Gaudreau out there. He might have different wingers with him on this shift than he normally is playing with. And then, you know, we're always talking about this in terms of as if the entire roster is healthy for all 82 games. Yeah. So there are going to be times where, let's even say, let's just say that Marco Rossi takes the spot of Kevin Fiala on a line with Freddie Gaudreau and Matt Boldy. And that's where you start. That doesn't mean that's where you finish. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Freddie Gaudreau spend some time in a role like that, some time in a fourth-line role over the course of the season. But it will be a significant role. He's a good hockey player. He might just have been exposed as a guy that peaked in the regular season. And when we say exposed for that, that's not like saying he got exposed as a guy who wasn't qualified. I was just saying that when you get to the playoffs and everybody talks about having to ramp their game up an extra ten percent, I'm not sure he had another ten percent beyond what we saw during the regular season. That's all I meant about a guy that maybe we saw his ceiling. I think he was yeah. terrific during the regular season, and he might just not have had that next ten percent in the postseason.
0: Makes sense, Colin Jacobs. After a full uh, season of broadcast with the new media rights for ESPN and TNT, what new on-screen additions do you like or dislike uh for example tnt superimposes shot speeds above the goalie or time remaining on the power play near the blue line um you know one one camera view i don't know if you noticed last night that i loved was that behind that i don't know if it's in the in the wall but off the faceoffs that make it look like a video game i thought that was really neat Anthony.
1: yeah that's the 5k camera that the nfl uses and it's expensive and it can only be used at, you can't use it for game speed stuff yet. So that's why, like when you watch football games, they'll cut to it after a guy scores a touchdown and it's from close up and he's running off the field. So they can use it for that right before a faceoff takes place. But for game action, it just doesn't work yet. And I think I might have the terminology right on that, but it's that's essentially what it is. Uh, it's, as far as superimposing the power play time on the ice, I do kind of like that idea. The shot speed is not unique to TNT. That's Bally Sports North does that too. We, that's all from the player tracking stuff. Um, I still am waiting for one of the, the other networks to kind of pick up what Fox started. And, of course, Bally's then took over, which was just showing the shots on goal at all times on the screen. It's, I've gotten so used to that now that I, I wish it was up there all the time. I do think there's, um, you know, they've got some stuff that has been okay. They've got some other stuff I really don't like at all, and we'll see if they if they make some adjustments. I don't like how ESPN goes to some of the different views for live action, like the Robocam up above the goal to show, well, the puck's in the offensive zone. I, just, I think it's really awkward to then go from that and then jump back to a game camera at the side of the ice. I, I just... I'm used to watching hockey games from a game camera point of view, and I like it better. But I know they wanted to just try some new things, and, and I just that's not well, that's one I don't particularly care for.
0: Right. Charles Stewart, uh, how, how high is Joe's peak? What do you think, Tyson Joe's? Well, yeah, I don't think we've seen it yet.
1: I think he has more skill than he's shown. And, but I don't think we're looking at a guy that might all of a sudden turn into a top line forward, but, but he, he could be a second, third line guy, like a middle six type player. And that from time to time for a span of a couple of weeks, he plays on in a top six role. But I think for the most part, I think we're looking at a middle six as maybe a ceiling.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he's a two million dollar player. Thomas Girdy's asks, uh, "What is the realistic time frame for Jesper Walstad to be a starting goalie for the Minnesota Wild?" Um, I got to think two, three, four years down the line. Huh? I mean, unless he's just elite of the elite, um, you know, unless they're going to fast track him, I think we he, he, just all got to be patient. Charming Chad wants to know why did the Wild draft Philip Johansson so high? I would love to tell that the story. I've been told uh, before, but it is un um, unconfirmable. Let's put it that way. And if I was able to confirm it, it would be just an unbelievable story. But unfortunately, it's just not something that I feel comfortable putting out there in print. But it's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, shady stuff. Uh, Miles Erickson, uh, what's the best moment of wild hockey you remember broadcasting this year, Anthony? In an all-time You know, favorite. we've been
1: asked these kind of questions a couple times with the single highlight. And it's hard to pick just one but I I keep the one that keeps popping into my head was the home opener against Winnipeg because the comeback was so amazing late. And it really was an indicator of what was to come with this team all season long. So that one out of all the overtime I mean, there are so many overtime wins that it's hard to say one was better than the other, but I'll just go back to that home opener against Winnipeg. Yeah.
0: Um, Let's do this. Let's wrap up. I have a ton of questions here, a ton that, uh, let's hold off for the next podcast. Um, Fiala, real quick, uh, somebody asked, uh, did anyone hit performance bonuses and will those amounts uh, be subtracted for next year's cap? The Wild will not have any overages on next year other than $12.7 million, That's a pretty big uh, overage. Um, Steve Hoagland asked, any plans to sit down with Judd to preview the draft? I will, and I, I think I mentioned on the previous podcast, I'm also going there a couple weeks after the draft uh, over to Cape Cod to do a big feature on him. And um, I think that's it. Anthony, you see any others popping your head? Somebody's asking what Carol Capriosa's next contract's going to look like—gazillion bucks. Let's not think about yeah, that for four let's, years.
1: Let's let's give ourselves a few years for that. The only other one that caught my eye was somebody asked. I don't have the, I don't have it in front of me, but they asked about if I if you had ever gotten in an argument with your significant other over the use of ketchup, and the answer would be no because. I can't imagine what we would order that where we would use ketchup to begin with other than a yeah, burger.
0: Ketchup is too lowbrow uh, for Anthony. Um, I have well, a buddy Marty I, I who mean, you I mean, know, would you ever <laughs> argue about it? Uh, so I have a buddy Marty um, who he used to work for the National Predators, remember that yeah, buddy so Marty I have a buddy Marty next to work for Columbus? He is a pet peeve. When somebody takes ketchup and doesn't put it on the side of their fries, when they like put it all over their fries, and I've actually lo- watched him lose his temper on people when they get like ketchup all over their fingers because they put ketchup all over their fries rather than on the well, side. Why would you in. put it all over the fries? That's just I know dumb. that. That's his point. And he actually – I was once with him when we were kids and he took his hands and he smacked it on his fries to try to demonstrate how dumb it was. And so I actually I, – it was almost like that person that asked the question actually knows my buddy Marty. So uh, there you go. That's the perfect way to end the podcast. Anthony, hope you enjoy the Twins game tonight. I'll certainly enjoy the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, thanks to our incredible sponsors, Kowalski's, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Real Estate, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, and Royal Credit Union. Less us be more free. Talk to you next week, Anthony.
1: So much coming out,
0: there's nothing going. Feel like you're never gonna win. All oh, but the world won't.